Good morning, church. Great to see you guys. Good morning to those of you online watching live. Uh, we're here to open up the Word of God and learn together. Uh, we're starting a new series today, which I'll talk about in a minute. But before we do, I just, I just got to go back to that song we just sang. I absolutely love that song, Death Was Arrested. Because you think about the lyrics that we just sang out, and it's powerful. It's powerful to think about what is ours for those who are in Christ, and what is going to be for those who will come to Christ. And we think about some of the lyrics that we just belted out, that God has a grace that's so free, that we are made new and that uh, new life begins with you. And we know that this abundant life that Jesus offers everybody who comes to faith in him isn't going to be experienced through more money or more possessions or more accomplishments or more friends, but only is going to be found through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we become free and redeemed as we just sang. And we just spent the summer in the book of Galatians, really unpacking all those concepts and driving home this understanding that we just sang about, that basically uh, we have been liberated and freed from sin to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we've come to realize that we are truly lost, sinful, broken people with a fractured relationship with God that no amount of good works or no amount of religious behavior will ever fix. And that we can't earn God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, but it's offered to us freely by him by believing in the exclusive and primary means which he has made relationship possible, which is the death of Jesus Christ for our sins and his victorious resurrection from the grave so that we can have the promise of heaven. And so Jesus has conquered death, he's conquered sin, he's given us new life, and that's all for those of us who are in Christ. And if you believe that, you're free. And this good news, this gospel of Christ is the most beautiful and important information for the world. It's the most beautiful and important information for our nation, for our communities, and it's the most beautiful and important information for our very homes. And for those of you that are, are teenagers or young adults, I want you to be even thinking about your, your future home one day with your family. This is the most beautiful and important piece of information, the most amazing message that we have to anchor our families into that. And because of that, every parent should be consumed with raising children who know and love Jesus. Because without Jesus, their ultimate need in life will never be met. No straight A report card, no education, no job, no paycheck, no achievement, no amount of friends, no amount of uh, sports participation, no amount of likes on social media, will ever meet their ultimate need, which is to know the God of the universe who created them, who knows them, who loves them, and has a plan for their life. And if you're a, a teenager or a child, we're talking about you, that God knows you, loves you, created you, and has a plan for your life. And our most important desire is that you would know and love Jesus. Because if we as parents succeed in all the other efforts in our parenting, and if we fail in this, then we've set our kids up. We've set them up for a self-serving life, looking for value in what they do instead of who they are in Christ. And the outcome of our kids not knowing and loving Jesus is to live an unfulfilled life, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for worth, 
in other people or in their accomplishments. And that is not the desire of our heart. And so, uh, yes, we try to raise our kids in homes that are loving. Yes, we try to encourage our kids and have rules and discipline. And we hope our kids make good choices and have healthy relationships and that they do well in school. We hope our kids have dreams and they're, they're reaping the benefits of morality and responsibility. But are those the ultimate goals of our parenting? Is that what we're really after as the win? I would say no. Our greatest hope is that their heart will love Jesus and that they will know and serve Jesus. Because the heart that knows Jesus and the heart that doesn't know Jesus are rooted in two very, very different understandings of identity. They will live two very different journeys on life and they will spend two different destinations for eternity. And so we should be consumed as parents with our kids knowing Jesus because that's where their ultimate need will be met. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to focus on how we as parents can influence our kids toward Christ because we have no power to actually make our kids love the Lord. But we can create environments. We can utilize opportunities. We can provide examples that the Lord can use to help draw our kids to himself. And because of that, our primary goal as a parent is to reflect Jesus the best we can. I mean, some of you are thinking, man, I, I, I was waiting for this parenting series. I'm hoping for like five tips on how to be good parents or some formula that's going to be like, if you do X, you get Y. Uh-uh. Our primary goal as a parent is to reflect Jesus the best we can. And so we're calling this uh, series Parenting 216. It's a little play on words. Uh, one, 216 is the area code of Cleveland. That's a little fun. But the reality that Raquel just shared a minute ago on that video is that from 0 to 18 is 216 months. So we typically have 216 months before launch of our kids. Now, I know that there are some families that have unique situations in your home where that timeline is different, but our, the principles we're going to talk about today will still apply. But when I look at this, I'm going, okay, 216 months before our kids are ready to launch, that means Cruz, my oldest, has 22 more months. That means my middle child, Isabel, has 39 months, and my youngest, Faith, has 116 months. Like, when you start doing the math, it's kind of sobering. Like, if you've got kids, or even think about your grandkids, like, how many months you got left to try to reflect Christ the best you can in your home. Now, some of you are going, oh, if I can just get a do-over, right? Well, let's just make the most of the time that we have. And so I want also to address this. Some of you who don't have kids right now because you're single or you're a student or young adult, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to check out for the next half hour. I'm going to check my social media, take a little nap. I'm not coming back for the next few weeks because I'm off the hook. I'm just here to say there's something for everybody in this series, Okay, how many of you are parents? Raise your hands, okay? Parents, raise your hand, great. Look at, a lot of us are gonna get something out of this. How many of you are grandparents, right? So you have influence in the lives of your grandkids and in the lives of the ones raising your grandkids, okay? Some of you are thinking, still not my life. Okay, how many of you know a parent? All right, so that's all of us. But really, all of us have influence in the next generation. Maybe your aunt and your uncle. Maybe you're a close friend of the family of someone that has kids. Maybe you're serving in a children's ministry or a student ministry. All of us have avenues to invest in the next generation. And really, what we're going to talk about today has an application for all of us, no matter what our perspective and relationship is with the next generation. 
Now, the other reason that the numbers 216 are important and why they tie into the series is that when we kicked off our Galatians series, we, we asked you guys to memorize a few verses through the series. The very first one was Galatians 2, 16a, which says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want our kids growing up thinking that they have to try to earn God's love, that it's their works and it's their behavior that will make them come into relationship with the Lord. And in the same way, we don't want to create homes where maybe even accidentally we are now trying to say our relationship with our kids is going to be based on their works and their behavior and their obedience. And so we want to take what we've learned from the Lord and what, we're not justified, we're not made right with him because of behavior, we're made right with him because of relationship. And we want to translate that into our homes as well. And so we come to this understanding that our theology will determine our parenting. Our theology determines our parenting. So we want to spend however many of the 216 months we have left with our kids learning how to parent with grace and freedom and the power that God has given us through his Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, we're going to be going back into the book of Galatians. And we're just going to do another lap around Galatians 5. And we're going to look at some of those verses that we saw, you know, weeks ago, and we're going to pull out specific application to our home life and to our parenting. So with that, open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps to Galatians chapter 5 with me. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15 today. So open up your Bibles. This is a BYOB church. Bring your own Bible. We want you guys to open up God's Word. Open up your Bible apps. Take notes. Interact with the text. See it with your own eyes. Uh, write stuff down that you can you know, look at later and apply. And so we should all be in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. And once we are there, what we see is this. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us your word. It's perfect. It's holy. And you're perfect and you're holy. And Father, uh, all of us in this room, all of us watching online right now, all have some sort of avenue to children as parents, grandparents, uh, older siblings, aunts and uncles, close friends of the families, Lord, working with kids. So Lord, we pray that today all of us would, would just tune our ears and our hearts to what you want to tell us individually and as a community to help us grow in taking care of these souls that you've entrusted to us. So we come as captive students right now, looking to learn from you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking into verse 15. When you look at verse 15, some of you are thinking, that's a description of my home. Biting and devouring, right? That's like someone's been, you know, has got a camera on our house and they wrote it down in the Bible, that this is the environment of biting and devouring. The, the, the thing is, is those homes have regular tension and conflict. And that's what we find ourselves doing sometimes, having regular, low-level, high-level tension and conflict with our parents and with our kids. The question right now is, why is that? Why do we find ourselves living out verse 15? It's because we're not applying verses 13 through 14 very well. And so let's see what we uh, find again in verse 13. 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the what? Flesh. See, as a follower of Christ, God has freed us from sin through the death of Jesus on the cross. He's also freed us from trying to work our way to him through human efforts. So we're now part of this family of Christ when we come to Christ. That's why it says brothers. It's, it's addressing, you know, this family, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, brothers, the siblings of the faith. And we're not to use our freedom for the flesh, which when you look at the context means obeying and indulging in our own sinful cravings and our own selfish desires. Everyone say selfish desires. That's the flesh. And if you aren't sure what that might look like in a moment of parenting, let's just go to a common example. It is 9 o'clock at night, and you have put your kids to bed. Now you find yourself at 10 o'clock, and the kids aren't in bed. And there's pitter-patter down the hall, and they're up and down, and they've got 35 reasons why they can't be in bed right now. And at this point in time, as you're walking down the hall, as you're going up the stairs, what's probably not happening at that moment is you are filled with the Spirit looking for a gentle opportunity to instruct your child. All your selfish motives are online. It sounds like this. I just want sleep. I just want quiet. You're in bed. It's not a bed. I mean, it's not jail. It's a bed. Wait, no, it's not bed. It's jail. Stay in there. You know, this is what's going on because you're just like, I'm maxed out. And in that moment, everything that you want is just crying for fulfillment. Like, I just need some me time, right? And this is a moment where you're not motivated by the Spirit, you're operating and parenting out of the flesh, out of emotion. And so we know that's real. We know that's common. But as believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit who lives in us has empowered us to parent in the Spirit, not the flesh. We'll talk more about that next week. But we're not slaves to our emotions. We're not slaves to our desires to control. We've been empowered by God to respond to our kids in the Spirit. We just have to learn to obey the nudges of the Spirit when He tries to diffuse and kick out the flesh. And so we need to make sure that those moments aren't what we see here, an opportunity that the flesh is going to take. Because if we do, we're not going to do a good job reflecting Jesus to our kids, which is our number one goal. And when I say reflecting Jesus, I do want you to think of the classic example of a mirror. I want you to think about the role of a mirror. A mirror's job is to reflect an image, right? Just right now, as I'm reflecting light in some of your eyeballs, right? The mirror isn't the light. It is just reflecting the light, right? In the same way, as a mom, as a dad, whatever influence you have in the life of a child, we are trying to take the image, the nature, the qualities, the characteristics of God, and have them reflect off of us into the life of our child. And so his grace, I'm going to learn to give grace to my child. The way the Lord loves me, I'm going to try to love my kid that way. The way the Lord is compassionate and patient with me, I'm going to try to bring that into the life of my child. The way the Lord disciplines me, where it's not out of fury, but out of correction, I'm going to try to bring that into the life of my child. And so the goal we have is to reflect Jesus to our children. Now we know that our mirrors are cracked, right? Our mirrors are cracked and have smudges and all sorts, you know, stickers or whatever. Like, the image is kind of skewed. And right now, some of you are like, man, I, I give a bad image of God if that's my role. But the beauty is, the image of the one we're reflecting isn't skewed. It's perfect. 
And he uses the imperfect. He even uses the imperfect to, to cast an image of himself. And, and if you're a child, you're a student, you're a teenager, look, my, my hope for you is that you can look past the flaws of your parents because we're not going to nail it, all right? You look past our flaws and our moments in the, in the flesh instead of the spirit and you see the image of the flawless one that we so desperately want you to know and love because your heart and your hope rely on it. Your ultimate need in life relies on it. And so our job is to reflect Christ. And so every time you hear that word reflect, let it trigger the image of we're living mirrors in the lives of our kids. And so we try and reflect Jesus to our kids. And our flesh is going to try to sabotage the image. And the flesh is going to try to take moments of irritation and disappointment and disobedience. And although our kids are not our adversaries, the flesh will start to try to pit us against our kids. And even though we know that we're actually for our kids, not against our kids, when we're in the flesh, that's not what they feel. They feel like you're against them, not for them. And guess what? When you're in the flesh, you feel like your kids are against you, not for you, right? That's what the flesh does. And so we have to ask the Spirit to deactivate that. And if we don't, if we don't start learning how to parent in the Spirit and start you know, uh, learning and to be more gracious, then we're going to start to get back to this verse 15 moment of biting and devouring one another. And as recipients of God's grace, as recipients of the gospel of Christ, we need to resist the temptation to parent in the flesh because if we parent in the flesh, here's what happens to our parenting. It's boiled down to merely rules and requirements and the scary list we come up with to enforce them. And when we find ourselves in that place, now we're parenting out of law, not out of grace. And this concept of law and grace has been so heavy for us in the last few weeks. Now, the grace that God's given us should fuel a grace that we give to our kids as Christian parents. The problem is we're in the way and the desires of our flesh get in the way. And here's, here's the sad trap. Here's what's so crazy. The rules and the consequences and all the scary lists of how to enforce them, they're, they're there, there's purpose for those. But here's the thing, rules and law actually don't change a heart. Like think about like all you as adults, did the rules change your heart? No. Did a person get up in your face and increasing their volume and sharpening their tone about the rules change your heart? It didn't. In fact, a lot of times it was a challenge. It's like, oh yeah? Well, I'm just going to do that some more, right? So if it didn't work for us, how pathetic is it that now we find ourselves doing it in the lives of our kids? Thinking the rules are going to change their heart. The law doesn't change hearts. Grace changes hearts. The gospel changes hearts. And so the rules have a purpose we'll talk about in a second, but we've got to make sure that we are parenting for the long haul, which means we're not looking for compliance. We're not looking for the short-term win in the moment because that doesn't mean that a heart change has happened. A compliant heart does not mean a converted heart. We want the converted heart, not just the compliant heart. And so we know that we have to find a way to be more gracious in what comes from us what we reflect. Now we know also that some parents might find themselves on the other unhealthy extreme. That they're so grace heavy that there's no law. There's very few rules which creates a distorted understanding of authority and a distorted understanding of consequences in the life of our children. 
So we need laws and rules. Like if you do a quick tap in scripture and look at a few things, I'll just throw some verses up real fast. We know that the law is good. We're told that in Romans 7. We know that God disciplines us because he what? Loves us. God tells us that in Hebrews. We also know that the parent who does not discipline their child hates their child. The, the Bible's saying that if you don't bring any discipline to life for your kid, you don't care about them. You're not looking out for them. And so uh, we know that withholding appropriate, loving correction in the life of a child's damaging. So we need to have these rules and disciplines and things in our lives, but we also have to grace in how we deliver them out. Discipline is not a release of frustration or anger, but it's a measured correction for the good of our child. And both extremes, a lot of grace with no law, a lot of law with no grace, neither one of those reflect Jesus well. Because Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And he's the one that's brought grace to us. Think about how God has used the law. When we look at the law, we look at the commandments in Scripture, it drives us to the Lord, right? We see what we're not capable of keeping. We see how frequently we can fail. And the law reveals our sinfulness and drives us to God. But then through the death of Jesus and his resurrection and through the symbol of the cross, which last week we hit hard, right? God uses grace to draw us to Christ. The law drives us to Christ. The law draws us to Christ. They both have value. They're both from God. But we are out of balance when we're heavy on one side or the other. And so in our parenting, we aim not at behavior modification, not at compliance, not at the short-term wins, but for heart change, for surrender to Christ and long-term transformation. And that happens best when we're focusing on trying to reflect Jesus the best we can. I just got to say right now, and I'm sure the other pastors that are going to teach in the series are going to say something similar. It's almost laughable that I'm teaching this to you right now. Because this is real time. I mean, come on, I got two teenagers and a girl that's turning nine in a few months, you know? Like, I'm in the thick of it with you guys. And so everything I've been studying, everything I've been learning, everything coming out of my mouth right now is like I'm preaching to myself. Like, empty the room, and I need this message. Because I know my failures as a parent. All of us as parents are very familiar with our parenting hall of shame, right? Moments we wish we could do over. And it happens all the time. And so I kind of have this dual role right now with you as both teacher and student. Thank God he's given us the textbook, right? And we all need to learn from that today. Uh, like, for example, let me, just give you, let me just peek back my heart a little bit and give you a moment in the recent weeks that uh, this has been very evident, this flesh thing. So one night, uh, it was late after a long day, and one of my kids uh, had a late-night activity, and I went to pick them up from it. And as they get into the car, they made the request to leave that late-night activity to go to another even later-night activity that we didn't know about. And, of course, I was like, oh, I'm, I know you want to go to that. I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to swing that. You know, we're just heading home. Uh, of course, they did not receive that very well, and so they up the request a little bit, and we kind of went after that for about a minute, going, I'm, I'm sorry, it's late, we're not going to be able to do that, and then the request started to become more like a demand, and then the flesh was calling my name, but so was the spirit, but I didn't hear the spirit, and I went into full-blown flesh mode, right? I'm like, the car slows down, I'm trying to make eye contact, the volume comes up, the tone sharpens, and I go into like full-blown flesh sermon mode, right? 
And I don't know what I said, but I think it had a lot to do with like, you know, convenience and consideration and respect and appreciation and gratitude. And you should be happy you have this, that, and the other. And, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then we had a nice, quiet ride home the rest <laughs> of the ride. Did that moment change my child's heart? Did I actually move the needle at all? No. It was a moment of the flesh. And, and I felt it, and I felt bad for it. They felt it, and I'm sure they felt the wall. And so we're all capable of going here. Now, sure, I could have done far worse in this situation, but I could have done far better. I was parenting in the flesh, not the spirit. I was parenting out of emotion. I was parenting out of law, not grace. And I wasn't reflecting Jesus well to my child. A little later, a verse came to my mind that convicted me. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. See, often what drives us to respond in these overly negative ways to our kids is really these little embedded laws in our own hearts. If you think about this, when you, when you, when you lash out at your kids, is it because they broke God's law or is it because they broke your little inner laws? A lot of times it's our own inner laws. And that's when the flesh just grabs a hold and takes that opportunity and seizes that moment. And then our flesh makes a case for why we should not be inconvenienced, why we shouldn't be helpful, why we shouldn't listen. And then we bow up and we parent in the flesh and out of law. We need to learn how to parent more with grace and reflect Jesus in that moment. Now, parenting with grace doesn't mean just letting your kids off the hook when they disobey. Because if we did that, they'll never learn the reality of consequences in life. So grace-heavy parenting focuses on making sure that um, when those moments of disobedience happen, and hear me, uh, students, parents together, when disobedience happens, the relationship is strained. You feel it in the moment, you feel it after the moment. But when we, when we let grace come online, there's repentance, there's forgiveness offered and received, and then there's a restoration of the relationship. The consequences still might be in play, but at least the relationship's been restored. Why would we want that to be our model as a parent? Let's think about this. When we sin, the relationship with God is strained. And as long as we continue in sin, that relationship will continue to be strained. But the second there's repentance, and there is forgiveness offered, and there's forgiveness received, that even though there still may be consequences to our choices, the relationship is restored. And so what God has done for us is what we long to do for our children. This is a mirror image of how God disciplines us and loves us and gives us both law and grace for our benefit. But if we're not careful, if we overemphasize obedience, if we overemphasize law, then it undermines grace. And we don't want that to happen in the lives of our kids. Now, Christ has empowered us to take the forgiving, transforming, rescuing, delivering grace that he's given us and transfer it to the life of our kids. So that way we can reflect Jesus the best we can. But how do we do that? Sounds great, Chad. Reflect Jesus. Got it. Give me 10 ways to do that, right? Give me a list. Give me a X plus Y gives me this. And that's the thing. That's not the case. It's a mindset. It's a theology-based 
attitude that we have to engage. And all of a sudden, God brings us into places where we go, this is what it looks like. Well, how does it look reflecting Jesus? We're given it in verses 13 and 14, right? Look again at verse 13. For you recall the freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what? Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So through love, serve one another. This is what it looks like. Now, we can make a list, and we will in a minute, of ways we can creatively do that, but it's not a formula. It's just creative ways to try to live this concept out that through love, because we fiercely love our kids, we've got to learn to serve them well. And we're like, I do serve them. I've got laundry. I pick up their messes. I clean up everything. Like I serve them all day long. It's not that we serve them, it's how we serve them. Think about how God could provide for our needs. I mean, God could show up into any of our rooms tonight and go, hey, look, I feed you, I clothe you, I give you the breath you breathe, everything you have all ties back to me somehow, and what do I get from you? He could do that, and we'd be like, oh, but does he? But does he really do that? No, because the father doesn't find it a chore to provide and care for his children. It's a joy for our father to care for us. It's a joy for our father to serve us through providing our needs. And not in a service way like, oh, you know, he has to obey us, but it's a joy to him to provide and care. And so we have to learn to find the joy in serving our kids through love. And we see in verse 14, you know, as this concept is drilled down even deeper, that we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, which means we need to learn to put the needs of others at the same level of importance or even a higher level of importance than our own needs at times. And so our freedom in Christ fuels a greater love for other people, and that greater love for people will cause us to serve them. But to love your neighbors as yourself is the call here. Now, the word neighbor is the word placeon, and it literally means someone nearby. So when it says love your neighbor, yes, that means the person living next to you. It means the person working next to you, the person in the elevator, the person on the airplane. Wherever we're at, our neighbors are the people nearby. But there's no one more nearby than those under your roof. So to love your neighbor is to love your children like you love yourself. Because they're the most nearby people in our life with our spouses. And so we need to learn to love them. And now that uh, we already love them, we need to learn to serve them out of that love because it will reflect Christ well. Now, I'm very aware of all my Hall of Shame moments that I wish I could have do-overs of. But every now and then you have moments that you realize I've learned something. The needle has moved. I've gained ground. I also had one of those this week because I've been marinating in this stuff for a few weeks, reading up on it, trying to process and deal with the conviction of my own life as a dad, what I do and don't do that, that needs to grow. And so there was another moment this last week that was a little bit on the other end for me. Uh, I got up early, I worked out, I came home, and I had my list. I got to get ready, I got to get, you know, all these things in order, and I got to head out and get to work. Got a lot to do today. So as I come home, my wife's sitting there and going, you know, your two oldest kids have left to school, but one of them left their Chromebook that they need for class. And, you know, the flesh is all of a sudden going, I'm inconvenienced, they weren't being responsible, I don't have time for this. And, and the spirit, of course, wants to be like, oh, okay, fine, I'll go take it. And that started to come online, and then the Holy Spirit let all this stuff I've been marinating in come online instead. And I actually experienced a visceral shift in my spirit 
where all of a sudden I realized I get to serve my kid through love. Like they forgot something that they needed. Hmm, have I ever done that as an adult? I did it this morning during first service. I'm sitting here 30 seconds before talking and I realize I don't have my headset on. I'm like, well, that's not going to go well. And one of the team members came up and helped me out. Like, we do it all the time. And so we bust on our kids for doing something or not doing something that we do at the same time. So all that to say, I come back around. I'm like, you know what? I'm actually looking forward to taking this to help them out. I get to serve them out of my love for them. And so we had a little text exchange. Of course, I'm thinking, if I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, great. My parents are going to be irritated. They're going to be upset at me. Instead, I just said, I'll say, hey, I'm going to bring it by. Not a problem. Love you. Have a great day. And there was actually a joyful serving in the moment. Look, I'm not to my own horn by any means. I'm just saying, when I get a win, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> because the other list seems a lot longer, I think, in our head and hearts. And so think again of how God provides for us. Now he's patient and compassionate with our needs and our weaknesses. In fact, go there for a second. I want you to think about how patient and compassionate God is with your weaknesses and your failures. Now, God wants us to take that same patience and apply that kind of compassion and patience to the weaknesses and failures of our children or our spouse or our friends. This is what it means to love our neighbors and to serve one another through love. But let's get a little specific because sometimes we need help. Uh, Let's brainstorm for a second. I need your help. Uh, When we think about ways that we as parents, fueled by God's love, fueled by God's grace, can better serve our kids, what comes to mind? I'm just going to look for some hands because otherwise I just hear voices. But let's just build a small list to get our creative juices flowing. What are some ways we can lovingly serve our kids? All right, who's first? Okay, looking for hands, looking for hands. Okay, don't be shy, don't be shy. I know there's some hands. Okay, yes. Listen to them. Yeah, listen. A lot of times we like to use this instead of this, right? Absolutely. We serve our kids through love. Instead of just talking and dominating, we actually take time to listen to them and what they're feeling and what they're thinking and what their thought life is. Absolutely. We serve our kids through love when we listen. What else? Okay. Oh, you guys are shy bunch. The other ones are like, I didn't have enough time. What's that? Be a good example. Here's the, here's the reality. We're always an example, right? But to be a good example, which we're going to fail at, but we're going to try to dominate with good. Like, hey, look. I'm trying to follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Be a good example. I saw a hand. Yes. Say again. Spend time with them. Absolutely. Not just, you know, activities and doing stuff all the time. Go, go, go. But actually spend quality time with them. Give them choices. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of like, this is what you will do. Like say, hey, here's some options for you. You serve your kids. You're helping them grow and learn an executive function, right? By letting them have choices. Ah, talking to them, not at them. So instead of just like blasting them with words, talking at them, hopeful instruction, learning to listen. Yeah, affection. A big hug, affection. That absolutely serves our kids because we know, especially going to teenage years, the inadequacies, the insecurities. Is someone having fun up there? Uh, yes, it is. Give them a big hug. Okay, anything else? Encouragement. Encouragement. Got to encourage them. Patience. Be patient with them. Edification. Say again. Edify, lift them up. Ooh, apologize when we mess up. Ooh, did you hear like the ooh? Ooh, that sister's got it right there, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Say again. Oh, puppies! So fun, fun things to add to the family. That absolutely serves the children. <laughs> Melissa typing, 
is a cat person. <laughs> I don't know if that serves them or punishes them, but anyways. And I heard you, Adrian, you said pray with them, right? Absolutely. Say again. Yeah, pray for them and also pray with them. It's one thing to say, hey, go to God's throne. It's another thing to say, let's go to God's throne together. So we can keep going. I want you guys to continue to expand this list. Put whatever animals you want, you know, whatever. <laughs> Give them a gerbil, I don't know, whatever. Just, just build that list. There's so many ways. Like think about it. This sparked ways we can just serve our kids through love. We fiercely love them, but we just don't always serve them with the love that we have there. And so this is what it looks like to reflect Christ the best we can. Now, um, just want to talk about resources for a minute. Uh, obviously, as we're talking about parenting, there's a zillion books out there on parenting. There's a zillion resources. But with the approach that we're taking with this series, there is definitely one book that our team would recommend on parenting above all. And this is my personal high recommend. And it's got a phenomenal title for you that are parents. It's called Parenting. Okay, it's pretty clever, huh? Uh, this guy, uh, Paul, Paul David Tripp, has wrote a phenomenal book on parenting. He really unpacks uh, this, this way of parenting with law, being law-heavy or grace-heavy. It's a very convicting book. Um, I'm having my hiney kicked a lot as I'm reading that book from that brother. Um, he's taking me to task. I'm really appreciative of his perspective. I think all of us can um, gain from it. But he basically says uh, there's two types of approaches in parenting. There's the owner parent. The owner tries to use control and rules and law to turn their kid into something, right? And, and uh, some of us are going, ouch, that sounds like me, okay? And then the other is the parent who sees himself as an ambassador, they realize that their primary role is to reflect Christ, to, to represent God. In fact, uh, there's a little uh, booklet in your program that's just kind of a summary of the book, a little bit of a blurb to get the flavor. Uh, we've got a handful of them at the front desk if you like want one now, but you can go online and download or buy one. Here's one quote from the book that caught my attention. He says, parents who really do understand that they are never anything more than representatives of someone greater, wiser, more powerful, and more gracious than they are, know that their daily work is not to turn their children into anything. They have come to understand that they have no power whatsoever to change their children, and that without God's wisdom, they wouldn't even know what is best for their children. This is so true. And so recommend that as a resource. Also, uh, in our foyer today, we have members of our family team, our CVC kids and CVC youth. Uh, we just have some incredible leaders and servants in those ministries. Uh, they want to come alongside you to help you try to reflect Christ well to your kids. And so for CVC kids, as you heard some stuff earlier from Raquel in the earlier video, uh, they have devotionals that they want to get to you, lessons that they encourage you to look at beforehand that you can talk about the concept before church, and then church is a, is a follow-up versus the parent is the follow-up to the lesson. Both are fine, but that might be a little stronger. Also, we have once a month, on the first Sunday of the month, a, a shared worship experience called Blast, where parents and kids can learn together, uh, you know, pray together, and do activities together. Uh, that's the first Sunday of the month. Also, we have Indispensable, which is a ministry dedicated to uh, children and parents with all abilities and disabilities so that they can learn together as well. Also, uh, CVC Youth, They've got a great blog site, CVC Youth Blog. And um, on that, they have all the upcoming opportunities and events and resources that they can give you to help come alongside you during those teen years. At, uh, during this service at 11, a lot of you know this, on the other side, uh, we have Collide, which is our middle school gathering. And then tonight at 6.30, we have Impact, which is our high school gathering. In fact, tonight they have a special evening to kind of kick off the fall 
And so um, they want to come alongside you and help you reflect Christ well. They have life group leaders that are very dedicated to, to pouring into lives of the kids. And so you're not alone in trying to reflect Christ to your kids well. So they're in the foyer if you want more information or you've got questions. So as we wrap up, 216 months, it's not a lot of time. And we just need to make the best of the time that we have because we know it goes fast. The days go slow, but the years go fast, right? They really do. And so what kind of impact can we make if we're trying to reflect Christ well in the months that God has given us with our children? And let's look for everyday opportunities to point our kids to the person and the promise and the power of Jesus. Because we know that only in him will their ultimate need be met. So here's an application that I want to give you guys this morning. And it's just a question that I think could be a game changer if we take three to five seconds to ask ourselves this question before we engage our kids, whether it's a moment of tension or a joyful opportunity. A good question would be, how can my next response reflect Christ well? I just think if we took the time, and by the way, if you're single, you're a young adult, you're a teenager, like if you learn what we're talking about now, you will do this well. You get a head start. How can my next response reflect Christ well? And if you're a child here, if you're a teenager or a student, this question is good for you as well. Because even though your parents are flawed, they're doing their best. Like cut them some slack, right? They're doing their best. But um, they're going to ask things of you that you don't want to do. And they're going to ask you to stop doing things that you want to do. And you're going to feel the tension in that moment to just want to resist that. This is a great question for you too. How can my next response really glorify Christ? How can it be helpful? Because Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane didn't want to go to the cross. You read it. He said, take it from me. He didn't want to go. But then he says, but not my will be done, but yours. And he submitted to the Father, and yet we got the benefit. And so in the same way that he demonstrated submission to his heavenly Father, we can do the same with our parents. So this is a great question for us to ask ourselves. Um, and I just want to say there are probably some of you watching and here in the room that as we've been talking about this, this concept of God as father and you as child, a beloved child, as we like to say, is foreign to you or that's not how you would describe your relationship with God. Uh, really, the next step for you is to get into relationship with Christ. Because of sin, your relationship with God is strained. You can't fix it. He's already fixed it through the death and resurrection of Jesus and he's offering you forgiveness. Some of you have never trusted in Christ as your savior. Your next step is to place your faith in Christ as your savior. And you can do that by simply telling the Lord that, Lord, I believe I'm coming to Christ. I believe I'm gonna follow you, come into my life. And um, if you do that, we wanna come alongside you and walk with you to grow in this relationship. So come talk to us in person or there's a, a little box in your program that you can mark and you can turn that in by the end of the service here and the baskets that come around and we'll tell you how you can grow in this relationship with the perfect father. Here's how I want to close our time. We're just going to move into some time of worship and we're going to start by singing a song that's very appropriate. It's a declaration of how good God is as our heavenly father. And as we, as we sing this for a little bit, I ask you just to be in kind of a prayerful state. You're both celebrating God and who he is. You're letting the Lord sift you and the work he wants to do in your life. I'm just, we're going to sing this for a minute, and then I'm going to come up, and I just want to lead us in a prayer time in a minute, just to pray through whatever the Lord's put on our heart. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's go ahead and move into a time of singing and declaring 
God, as our Father, God, you're so good. You are the definition of good. You are the epitome of good. You're a God who knows exactly who we are, what we need, what we want, what we struggle with. You know everything about every single one of us. You're God. We're so grateful that you didn't stand far off and not have relationship with us, but that you opened up an opportunity to be relational and intimate with you. And so God, we praise you for the God that you are. We praise you for the Father that you are. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and compassion that you pour out on us. Thank you for your patience with us and all our failures. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for giving us comfort and wisdom and joy and strength. Lord, thank you for giving us discipline. Lord, that you allow consequences into our life to, to guide us and shape us, Father. You love us that much, and we're so grateful. And so we give you praise for that. And Lord, in light of you, it's very clear that we are not always the reflection of you that we need to be. So Father, right now, even though there's many voices, there's one heart. Father, forgive us for not reflecting you well. Forgive us for the moments of anger. Forgive us for the moments of passivity when we were silent. Forgive us for the sharp tones and the outbursts. Forgive us for the neglect. Forgive us for just good intentions with wrong actions that we have demonstrated in our homes, in our families, in our relationships. We're so sorry. Would you take us and refine us? And through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make us new? Would you clear up the image that we can reflect to our kids? Father, we know we're not going to nail it. We know we're not going to be perfect. But would you dial up more grace coming from us? Lord, will we lean away from law a little more, a little more into grace? Lord, more of parenting in the spirit, not in the flesh. We ask that of you, Father. We cry out. We desperately need to have this in our life. If we want to see kids come to know you as Savior and put their faith in you. Lord, we profess we cannot change the lives of our kids. We cannot give them faith. Only you can. But you have put us in a position to influence and to reflect. So may we do that well. And Lord, we pray for the next generation. Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for our children's children. Lord, that you would grow them up to know you and love you as Savior. Lord, we don't want our kids trying to depend on other people for worth. We don't want our kids depending on their accomplishments or what they did or didn't do for worth. Father, we want them to root themselves in you, that they know that your beloved child so, Father, may we see our kids love you with all their hearts, serve you with all their hearts, Lord. May you raise up a generation that knows you passionately and serves you faithfully, Lord. Start in our homes. Lord, may our homes have the next missionaries, the next church planters and pastors and the next business leaders and rel religious leaders and political leaders that will permeate our culture and speak for you, Father. Take our kids. You gave them to us. They're yours. We give them back. They're yours, Lord. Help us reflect them well. And right now, I just want to give you a minute. Would you just pray? You can pray quietly. You can just whisper to the Lord. Would you take whatever God's doing in your heart right now, and would you just talk to him? Would you just confess or give thanks or ask whatever you need of the Lord right now? Would you take a minute and just pray and come before the Lord right now this minute?